We learn it early on. Drink milk, you'll get strong bones. And later on, it's physical activity is, is good for the heart. In school days, do the homework and study along the way, it will pay off. And I'm reminded of this truth when I'm the recipient of church members' delicious vegetables. Gardens don't plant themselves. And all of these are the results of intentional effort. And like health or grades or gardens, we will see this morning that that spiritual life functions in the same way. Intentional effort is essential for increase. Things essential for for growth, for increase. Well, what kinds of things? Well, last time in Acts 9, Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them to Rome. When he meets the Lord Jesus and is saved. And Saul is blinded by the glory of the Lord. And he's taken to Damascus where three days later... He meets Ananias and, and he is baptized. He's baptized. And verse 19 this morning, beginning there, for several days Saul is with the disciples there in Damascus. And immediately Saul begins to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And, and he's saying, Jesus is the Son of God. So he's gone straight to the enemy's camp. And he's telling them, Jesus is the Son of God. And all of those who were hearing him, they continue to be amazed. And and they're saying, is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this man Jesus in his name? And, And this man who had come here for the purpose of bringing these ones who have followed this Christian way, to bring them bound before the chief priests? And then we read these words. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews there in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So what happens to Saul following his salvation and baptism? Well, he he goes to work. He gets after it. And you see that word immediately. Saul doesn't dawdle. And He begins to preach. He goes straight to the heart of the enemy. He's in the synagogue, and there's amazement. And all those who who are listening, they're asking questions. Is this the same Saul? And this generates some, some attention, some buzz. If you remember, it was these same synagogues who gave Saul the the open warrants to go and arrest those persons who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Saul is preaching, and his preaching is getting stronger. And and Luke, the the writer of Acts, he uses an interesting term. He he says, increasing. Increasing, it's growing. Luke tells us that Saul kept increasing in strength as he's he's preaching. And, And how is he confounding these Jews? Well, he's proving to them in their Scripture 
In the Law and the Prophets, in, in the Old Testament, our Old Testament, he's drawing the connections that Jesus is the Christ. He's, he's the Messiah. And this picture of increasing, the more that Saul does this, the more he preaches, the, the more his strength, his, his knowledge, his comfort, and, and his, his level of confidence that he experiences, it increases. It, it, it's a vicious cycle. The more that he defends the faith, the more his ability increases. And, and, and the more that his ability increases and his comfort increases and his confidence increases, the more he does that, the more he defends the faith. And you know, it works the same way for us. The, the more we begin to talk about Jesus, the easier that it gets. The more we read about Jesus in Scripture, the more we read about the things of God in Scripture, the easier it is to come back and read it more. It increases. And we talk about the things of God. We talk about, about the blessings of God. And, and the easier that it gets, it, it, it increases. And, and with Saul, this, this continues for a while. It says, when many days had elapsed, that the Jews plot together to do away with Saul. And, and many days, that actually we will find out in one of Paul's letters in Galatians 1, that's three years. Paul, or Saul, before he was Paul, Saul is there in Damascus preaching in the synagogue, going straight to the enemy's camp for three years. Saul is not bashful. And he's made some people mad. And they want to kill him. Well, what happens, their plot becomes known to Saul. And, and so what they're doing, they're watching closely the city gates, day and night, so that they can, they can kill Saul. But what happens, Saul's disciples, they take him at night, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, and they lower him in a large basket. And that must be quite, quite a basket. I don't know if Longenberger ever made anything that big. <laughs> but, but, but what happens, the Jews, they, they make an attempt to nip it in the bud, to, to nip the problem in the bud. But, but you know what happens? Church members come to the rescue. And, and Paul would speak about this later on, this deliverance. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about in Damascus, the governor was guarding the city in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and I escaped. Church members assist Saul under the dark of night and they get him out of town. They load him in a very large basket and they sneak him down the wall of the city. In those days, cities had fortified walls for, for protection. It's like something you see in a movie. And if you think about it, it's a great picture of the relationship that, that church leaders should have with their churches. What a great example of, of the increase of trust. I would say that the, that the trust factor of, of both Paul and the church is increasing. Saul to these disciples and, and, and on the part of them to him. And it, it, this is essential for the survival of Saul. And so, when Saul finally comes to Jerusalem, and if you remember, that's the church's original starting point. When we talk of Acts 2 and the, and the Holy Spirit bringing, coming in Pentecost, that, that's there in Jerusalem. And so, 
Saul leaves Damascus and he comes to Jerusalem. And he tries repeatedly to associate with the disciples there. But what happens? They are afraid of him because they don't believe that he's a disciple. Saul has been in Damascus for three years. And Saul has returned to Jerusalem to see these disciples, to meet the apostles. The apostles are the ones who have witnessed Jesus firsthand, and there's still a few of them there in Jerusalem. But they have suspicions about about, about Saul. I keep doing that. They have suspicions about Saul. Why? Because of Saul's old reputation. And you add to that a mix of, uh, of political intrigue. You know, they had political intrigue back then, too. And what happens, there's some unsettling siege-like activity in that region during that time. And, and this impacts transmission of information. And so not everyone in Jerusalem would know of Saul's Damascus Road experience. And so there's legitimate concerns and questions about this man, this one who wanted to kill us, and now he's one of us? Is, is Saul a double agent? Is he a spy? Do we have to fear that he's going to, to, to murder us in the dark of night? They don't believe him. They don't trust him. And, and you know, Saul, as we are seeing, he is evidently type A. <laughs> he's a type A personality. He's a self-starter. Saul is not the most laid back, and so Saul probably is coming on a bit strong. Let's factor that in. That's that, I think that's a possibility. So what happens? Who does the Lord bring in to defuse this situation? A man named Barnabas. We've seen Barnabas before. A few chapters earlier, in in Acts chapter 4, we saw some great days in the life of the early church. There's healings, and there's signs, and there's wonders. There's there's powerful testimonies of of Jesus' resurrection. The Holy Spirit is showing up. The, The Lord is granting boldness to the church to speak the Word of God with all confidence. And we read of abundant grace and graceful abundance. There's, there are needs of believers being met, physical needs. And, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we, we read about a man named Joseph who was also called Barnabas by the apostles. And the word Barnabas, that translates to son of encouragement. Barnabas owned a tract of land. And he sells it. And he brings the money from the sale. And he, if you remember, he lays it at the apostles' feet. He, he gives it to the ministry. Gives it to the church for the sake of the ministry. So, so Barnabas, he has property. He sells it, gives it to the ministry. And, and using words of our culture, Barnabas is all in. He's all in this ministry. Barnabas loves the church. Evidently, he loves the church to the point of giving a a legacy gift, a gift which will outlast him. Gives this financial gift to the mission of the church for the sake of carrying on the gospel. 
Barnabas is not going anywhere. He loves the church. Barnabas has the back of these apostles and these church leaders. You know it's a good feeling when you know that someone has your back, you know? Barnabas is an encourager. And the church needs those who love like Barnabas. And I'm thankful for all those like Barnabas who were here. May God bless you. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, steps into this awkward situation, this predicament between Saul and and the Jerusalem church. And this is what happens. Barnabas takes hold of Saul. And he brings him to the apostles... And Barnabas describes to the apostles how how Saul has seen the Lord on the road and that Jesus has talked to Saul. And Barnabas shares how Saul has spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus there in Damascus. It takes someone like Barnabas to vouch for someone like Saul. And and even today, it takes someone like a Barnabas to vouch for someone with a history like Saul. And over the last few years, in that Jerusalem church, respect for Barnabas has increased. We've just seen that out of Acts 4. And this increase in the stock of, of Barnabas, his stock has grown. And this is essential in order for Barnabas to help Saul to become part of the Jerusalem fellowship. Because of the risk which Barnabas took, he took that risk, Saul's respect would increase. And the church would would begin to recognize Saul's Paul's leadership, his discipleship, his his mission work, which was coming. Paul's spirit-inspired letters to the churches. God-breathed words, which would become much of the basis of our New Testament. And like E.F. Hutton, (laughs) when Barnabas spoke about Saul on that day, the apostles listened. Barnabas' investment in the church enabled the the apostles' investment in Saul. Let me say that one more time. Barnabas' investment in the church enabled the apostles' investment in Saul. And the apostles' investment in Saul, in turn, was essential for the future of the church. Did Barnabas wake up that morning knowing that all this would unfold? No. But Barnabas had his antenna up, Barnabas was paying attention, and Barnabas said, Whoa. Barnabas listening to the Lord. Barnabas responded, and in some sense of the word, years later, you and I are here. Because of the relationship between Barnabas to Saul, to the church. So Saul 
We read there in, in 28, Saul is with the church there in Jerusalem. And, and it, in one of the later letters in Galatians 1, we find out that that's a period of about 15 days, about two weeks. Saul is with him, moving about freely, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And his, his preaching is described as bold. That's probably an understatement, I bet. <laughs> I bet it's more than just bold. He's speaking out, and then we read that, that Saul is talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. But they are attempting to, to put, him, put him to death. You know, he is just making enemies left and right. <laughs> Saul is speaking out boldly. He's arguing, and, and not arguing in the way we understand it. Not, there's not belligerent yelling and fussing and fighting. But this is the classical definition of an example of an argument. It's, it's, he is defending the faith with faith-driven logic. He knows, he knows the Scripture, and he knows where Jesus has been revealed throughout the Old Testament. You know, that's the Scripture that Jesus himself uses in the Old Testament. I had, a, I, had a, I had a professor years ago that said, we look at the New Testament, he said, thank God for the New Testament. He said, we call that the, the post-Jesus Bible. <laughs> think about that. Jesus didn't preach from Philippians. Jesus preached from the Old Testament. All right, off topic. All right, so these Hellenistic Jews with whom Saul is arguing, this is the same group who arrested Stephen back in Acts chapter 5. And see, this same group, they're the ones who enlisted Saul. They, they knew Saul. In fact, it was during Stephen's murder where we are first introduced to Saul. He held the coats for all those who picked up stones to murder Stephen. Saul was there. And they knew Saul. They enlisted him. And, and the, these Hellenistic Jews, these, these Greek the, these Greek Jews with whom he's arguing, and, and Saul is, is this spirit-given boldness. He's defending the faith with logic. He's, he's using Old Testament Scripture to, to show that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and an unwillingness on the part of these Jews results in murder attempts on Saul. These Jews, they realize that their feeble verbal defenses are no match for the gospel truth to which Saul points. And they want to murder Saul, just like they murdered Stephen. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. And, and if you know you, you can't win the argument. You'll do anything you can to silence what you don't want to hear. So there is another attempt to nip the problem of Saul in the bud. And like last time when, when Saul slipped out in that big long burger basket, the church steps in in, this, in in nearly the same fashion. What happens? We read in verse 30 that when the brothers learn of this murder plot, the brothers, the disciples, the apostles, the church, when they hear about it, 
they bring Saul down to Caesarea. They, they walk him out of town. And they send him away to Tarsus, which is actually his hometown. If you remember the, the, when the Lord spoke to Ananias last time, he said, Saul from Tarsus. So they, they, they walk Saul down to Caesarea, and then they, they dispatch him home. Well, the first stop is Caesarea. And a couple weeks ago, we left Philip the Evangelist in Caesarea. Philip was the one who, who delivered the gospel, interpreted that, that scripture from Isaiah to the Ethiopian regent there. And remember that Philip leads the, the Ethiopian to salvation, and he's baptized, and then the Lord sends Philip to Caesarea. All right. Well, I would imagine that probably when Saul comes down, that the two might possibly be introduced. We, we don't know that. Scripture doesn't say it. But we read back in Acts chapter 6 that, that Philip was one of the first deacons. Actually, he and Stephen were the first two mentioned. And, and we know what happened to Stephen, and, and, and so Philip probably is aware of Saul... Remember, Saul at one time was breathing murderous threats to the church. So Philip knows who Saul is probably, and Saul probably knows who Philip is. And so this encounter might be kind of awkward. If not for the endorsement given to Saul by Barnabas and the church in Jerusalem. Saul is no longer the enemy. And Scripture doesn't tell us Philip's response to, to Saul or if they even met at this point. We do know, according to Acts chapter 21, that, that they will spend time together before Paul's final trip to Rome. Well, then Saul is sent home to Tarsus. And this last verse this morning, I love how this reads. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace. And it was being built up as it was being built up. And as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. The, the entire church, <laughs> the church collective, all the campuses, <laughs> they're doing well. They're doing well. The church as a whole is, is being built up. It's increasing due to two essential factors. Essential then and two essential factors for the church today. Number one is the fear of the Lord. The respect of the Lord. How do we learn the respect? How do we learn to respect the Lord? Well, we learn His Word. And number two, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're only able to rest in the comfort of the Holy Spirit if we understand why the Holy Spirit came. We're told in John 14 that the whole, Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit is coming to deal with sin. And if we're able to rest in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it's because we, we realize why he came to deal with 
and to address our sin, and we're able to have our sins forgiven, and we're able to rest in, in, in His presence. And we're able to know that because of what the Word of the Lord has said. Those two essential factors. And as a result, there is a building up. There is, there is an increase. There is a season of peace for the church. And you know, when, when, there's a, when there's a season of peace, there's a season of increase, I would have to imagine there's a, there's a season of confidence. There's a season of, of security. That, that, that spiritual investment which comes from learning and respecting the truth in God's Word. Knowing the Lord by, by knowing His Word. Resting in the, in the comfort of His Holy Spirit because we're able to rest securely in the salvation mm, which only Jesus brings. Knowing Jesus is essential. His cross yields the forgiveness of sin, salvation. And His Lordship brings security. Do you know that? His cross brings salvation, but His Lordship brings security. And security, security brings confidence. And there's a confidence and, and a peace and a hope that will sustain you and me when those days of life, which can be dark or unclear, when those days arrive, and they, and they have and they do and they will. I told our folks earlier this morning, as I'm doing sermon prep, I always try to keep a, a word count just in mind, just so I don't keep you here all day. <laughs> and I got to this phrase of, of, of the, about the days of life, thinking about the days of life which are, which are dark. And I did, a, uh, I did a word count and it was 2020. <laughs> kind of interesting. thought, hmm. <laughs> um, but you know what? If we continue in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of His Holy Spirit, those two essentials, our faith and our trust in the Lord, will, will increase in spite, <laughs> in spite of whatever we might face in the days ahead. Jesus, in Jesus we find security. We know in whom we believe. 